Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. All right. Well, we're going to uh, today look um, at First Thessalonians chapter five and um, begin reading in verse sixteen. These are some just some short truth statements that the Apostle Paul. Uh, makes that really speak volumes to us. They, they carry a lot of weight in them um, when it comes to our Christian experience, our walk with God, um, our actions, things to do, things to experience, things not to do. And uh, he just says them so succinctly and terse that it, it's, it's very different from the rest of his writings. When you read you know, the Apostle Paul's writings, like say you're like over in Ephesians and um, Every verse seems like ends with a comma because he's not got the thought totally out. So he just keeps on this revelation is just pouring out. And, and, and so you have to read, you know, like a chapter or two chapters just to get the context of this one truth or idea. But in Thessalonians, he just takes this quick turn from his normal way of writing and just puts out these statements along the way. Um, it's, it's like he started a Twitter account or something and decided to just write briefly. Uh, but, those, but those statements are really powerful, and, and you have to think about the man who is writing them. Not only is he writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's also somebody who's experiencing life. And the Apostle Paul experienced extreme hardships, extreme hardships to bring this revelation, to bring this gospel to the Gentiles. And um, his life was in jeopardy on a, on a constant basis, almost daily at times. Um, there were people that were set to kill him, to, to silence this message that he's bringing, trying to bring him back. If it, if it wasn't people, it was circumstances. I mean, he was in three different shipwrecks. He was bitten by an extremely poisonous snake on the island of Malta after they had shipwrecked and then had to float on a piece of wood just to get to the shore. And then they built a fire because they're cold. So he you know, picks up the brush and, and in that brush is a poisonous viper and it latches right onto his hand. This is the kind of poison that you're dead in a few minutes, you know, it's, and so, but he just shook it off in the fire, but it seems like he's always got something coming after him. And the Lord told him that he would suffer many things by bringing this gospel. And he did. And not only that, he was imprisoned and where he wrote some of his letters. And one of the letters that he wrote from prison was the book of Philippians. And in that book, we find this astonishing theme in this book from a man chained in prison. And that theme is rejoice. So Paul is not flippant when he says the things that he's about to say to us here in 1 Thessalonians. This is a man who has learned something about his connection to God. He's learned something about faith that this Christian life is not made up of what we experience in this material world. Our Christian life is made up of the life of Christ in us. The life that we now live in the flesh, he said in Galatians, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, not by circumstances. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And one of the things he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, let's bring that up. It says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Let's, let, let's all say that together. Rejoice always. Rejoice, it's two words, but it's a tall order, isn't it? Two words, tall order. Rejoice always.
Why is that important? Why is he telling us that? Why is it important that we rejoice always? Well, we also understand from the scriptures, from the book of Nehemiah, it says that the joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you're rejoicing always, you're getting strength always. And it's in those, those weak times in our lives where we, don't, we can't find any reasonable uh, thing to set our joy in or to rejoice about. That's when you really do need to rejoice. And it's not just in those times, but it is especially in those times. When you're out of resources for strength, when you're out of resources for joy and happiness, and there's nothing around you that's, that's, that's helping to uh, encourage joy in you, the circumstances are doing nothing but working against you and seem to be actually robbing you of real joy. But knowing that the joy of the Lord is your strength, but he says to rejoice. So that's something that you have to cultivate. You have to intentionally do it. And others can't do it for you. know, nobody else can make you rejoice. Only you. Only you can rejoice. And so, but you have, the, you have the power to do it. You have the choice to do it. You always have the ability to rejoice always. If it says rejoice always, that means that it is possible for us to rejoice always. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Thank That's you. extraordinary to me. Yeah. And come, especially coming from someone who has lots of reasons not to have joy and yet encourages us to do that. What this means is that if we're rejoicing always, then that means that this joy is not predicated upon me feeling it or that my emotions lead me in this joy. Because <laughs> if I'm following my emotions and I'm following my feelings, I'm not going to always rejoice. Hmm? This is a choice, despite how I feel. Hmm? This is a choice, despite how angry I may be in this moment or sad or grieved. Or happy for that matter. Huh? And if we're going to truly be able to, then we're just, we simply have to choose it. The choice is yours and yours alone. So how is it possible to rejoice always? And Jesus gives us a really good um, understanding of how to do that. When his disciples, he sent them out at one time to go to these various cities and to minister and to do what he wanted them to know that they could do what he did because they had authority from him and they had his name. And he told him, he said, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cast out the devil. Freely you have received, freely give. Do, you can do what I can do. And so they went, and they came back a few days later, and man, they were excited. Jesus, it worked, basically, is what they're saying. We could do what you did. Even the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't rejoice over that. Don't rejoice because spirits are subject to you. You rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You're not going to be casting devils out every day. You're not going to be doing all these things every day. So what's good, what are you going to do? Where are you going to get your joy on the days that you're not doing those things? You've got to set your joy on something permanent. Your names are written in heaven. How can you possibly have a bad day now? Right? I know we do have bad days, but I don't necessarily, not real sure if we, always, if we have to have bad days. I mean, you can have bad things happen around you, but you'd be very good on the inside. Right? That you can learn to rejoice and bless the Lord. Go to, uh, what did I say to go? Second Chronicles 20 and verse 1. This is, a, this is a, an astounding story to me. And I, I want us to, I'm just going to read a few verses. I want you to 
just focus here on the screen for a second. This is an, an, an amazing story. It says, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. What a name, right? Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Now, at this time, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. All right? There are 10 tribes in the northern kingdom, 10 tribes of Israel in the northern kingdom, and there are two in the southern, not, uh, which are Judah and, um, thank you, Eric, Levi. So uh, Benjamin, Judah and, ben- and Levi would, would shortly come after. So they're divided this way. And so uh, Judea is the capital. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Judah is the capital where he's reigning. All right. Then there's Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom where the other ki- kings reign. All right. You would see king of Judah or king of Israel. They're, they're both kings. They're Israeli kings. But because the, it was divided at this time in those two kingdoms. So Jehoshaphat is king of the southern kingdom. Just so you know uh, what, what we're talking about here. So now this says that. There are others who are warned. Then, then some, yeah, verse two, then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. Verse three, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Verse four. So Judah gathered together to ask help from, from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, verse 6, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Verse 7, and are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. A lot of reminders here in this prayer, aren't there? You're our God, don't you remember? You're our, and Abraham's your friend forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. This is, he's saying, this is what we decided we were going to do. This is something that we're living by, all right? That we decided that if trouble comes, we're getting to the house of God, and we're crying out to you, okay? Now watch this. And now there, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. So when God gave Israel specific instructions after they left Egypt and they're being led into the promised land that the Lord told them, do not, go back, uh, go back right quick, go, do not attack Ammon, Moab, or Mount Seir. Okay? So everybody else they drove out except these guys. Now watch. The, now that was instruction from the Lord, but look at this, verse 11. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are open, our, our eyes are up on you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Like your turn. And the Lord's looking down. He sees these babies. He sees these children, these women, these men looking to him. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah. The Jews like to tell you how many generations of people somebody comes from. The son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of this enemy. Levite, that's important because he's in the priestly tribe. All right? Look at this, verse 15. And he said, listen, all of you, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, excuse my voice, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Wait, I thought you said, I thought this wasn't our battle. <laughs> Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook where the wilderness, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. You go down against them, but you don't need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now that's good news, isn't it? So the prophet has spoken, verse 19, and Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Verse 19, we're almost through here. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high, kind of like we did this morning. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord, who, would, who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. We put the choir in the front? We put the guys with the weapons behind the choir? That's not, that's not good strategy. Right? Get the singers out front before the army, and they were saying, let's read these words together. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Notice this. This is, this, this is so off the wall in the natural, right? You put a choir out front, and this is how you're going to battle, right? And this is what they're saying. They're not going, well, I went to the enemy's camp. <laughs> or they're, or they're, they're not singing like, we declare the kingdom of God is here. And they're not singing songs of, the enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. No, they're singing, praise the Lord for his mercy and for it. it doesn't even seem like it has anything of relevance to what's going on here. Nice. Praise the Lord for his mercy and forever. Yeah. Yeah. Watch this, verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, Praise the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Look how it happened. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. So now two nations turn on one, right? They all are allied together to fight Israel. Now they're fighting themselves. Two turn on one to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Look, look what, keep reading. This is powerful. So when Judah, then when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Got, gets down to two guys, and I guess they stab each other at the same time. <laughs> oh, that's it. Look what happens. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away, and they were there Three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. What did he say? Believe 
in the Lord your God, and you will be established, believe his prophets, and you will prosper. Three days they're gathering all of this abundance. How did it happen? Because they sang a song. And they watched their enemies just turn on themselves. See, there's something about this rejoicing that we really need to understand. There is a, there is a fight in our rejoicing. There is a victorious fight in our rejoicing. The scripture says that praise silences the enemy. It confuses the enemy. He doesn't know what to do about that. He, it, 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 it's like it throws him off. And we see that with these people here. They get confused. Wait, who are we fighting? We're fighting each other. Right? And all the time, Israel's just out there singing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And they're just slaughter, slaughter, slaughter. Right? This is incredible. And this is what God is trying to help us understand. There is an easier way to fight your battles. There is a much easier way. There are easy way, easier way to overcome than just wishing it would just go away. Than really trying hard and fighting and fighting. How about let's just get a praise in our lips. And say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Always listen to this apostle talking to you. Rejoice all, not this apostle, the apostle Paul. Re, I'm not an apostle. Rejoice always. Hmm? Rejoice always. Let's say it again. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. And then he says in the next verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. How's that supposed to happen? I've had people ask me through the years about this verse. What does Paul mean when he says prayer without ceasing? Am I supposed to pray all the time? Or I've heard also that, you know, obviously it's not every second, right? But then maybe you've heard this before. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're always praying all the time, but that you have an attitude of prayer. What is that? What does it mean? Isn't that kind of vague? Uh, it just talks about having an attitude of prayer. Oh, attitude of prayer. I don't even know what that means. But maybe that just means that you're, you're, you always have a readiness to pray. I think maybe. But I think it's even more than that. Obviously, Paul didn't pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? I mean, he had to preach. He had to teach. He had to sleep. He had to eat. He had to have conversations with people. He had to work. So he's not... What is he saying here? Because he says in different places when he's talking to the Ephesian church and the, and the Colossian church, I do not cease to give thanks and to pray for you. All right. Yeah, he does, but he doesn't. He's, they're always coming to his mind. He even told the Corinthian church, I thank my God I pray in tongues more than you all, which means he had to do it all the time, right? But she read the verse this morning, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which is the prayer for supply, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Proverbs says it like this, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's what it's saying. Invite God into every situation of your life. Don't forget to go to the counselor. Don't forget to go to the one who is wisdom to you. Don't forget 
that he has the answers. He has ways. He has help. He has direction for you. Huh? And so, uh, but, but when you get to just kind of following your calendar, right? You got things to do today. You get up and you immediately get busy without acknowledging him in all your way. This is what Paul's talking about. Get God in every part of your life. Lord, help me today. Help me, Lord, uh, as, as, a, as a dad. Help me, Lord, as a husband. Help me, Lord, as a teacher. Help me as, a, as I go to work today. Help me in every aspect. Help me as I'm driving to keep my fingers down. <laughs> or keep all, if I'm going to put them up, all five. Just wave friendly and just help me, God. Give me wisdom for this business project today. Give me understanding. Help. Give me the strength to do this. Just invite him. This is what he's talking about. Praying always, having constant communication with God. Because let me tell you something, the Lord knows how life works. He, he invented all this. He created all of this. And he's a much better manager than you are. Mm. He knows what he's doing. And Jesus said, when the spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to show you things to come. You will never live in the dark if you be led by the spirit. Okay. Amen. So pray without ceasing. Steal those moments with the Lord to pray. And you know, you might have to start by just developing a habit to pray. You know, it only takes a few days, something like 21 on average to develop a new habit. And uh, so uh, for me personally, I wanted to ramp up ramp up my, my spirit-filled prayer language. You know, I wanted to do that more and more. So I just put it a, notice, a notification on my phone every day. And I would get this ding, and it would look at it and say, P-I-T, pray in tongues. And after a while, I didn't even have to have the alert. It just became, it, every day, it's a natural thing, every day. And so if whatever you can do to help you develop that good habit, because in everything, verse 18, give thanks. Now, this is following prayer, right? Praying always without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, think about this, Lord. Lord, I want to know your will. What's your will? Give thanks. That's what it just said, right? In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's pretty simple. You know, a lot of times the will of God, it seems a bit um, elusive to us. Like, what is God's will for my life? Well, let's start right here. Let's start right here. Well, I know that he told me to give thanks, so I'm going to give him thanks. Now, I want you to understand that God's not saying to give thanks for everything. He's saying give thanks in everything. Not everything that happens to you is from God. Huh? There's a thief out there, and Jesus said his M.O. is to steal, kill, and destroy. All right? So if, if any of that is happening to you, if there's destruction, if there's thievery, if there's something coming against you to attack you, there are difficult situations. You can note those are not from God, but I can still give thanks in those situations. By saying, Lord, I am in pain right now. My body is sick, but I thank you that I am healed. I thank you that you sent your word and healed me. Lord, my bank account, uh, I seem to always have more month than money. But I thank you that your word says you will supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. Hmm? My marriage is like, I like my margaritas. It's on the rocks and I need help, Lord. That's Heather's prayer, not mine. Yeah. It helped, Lord. Thank you, God, that you heal us, that you restore our love and our relationship. Thank you, Lord, that you bring peace in our home. See, we're not giving things for everything. We're giving things in everything. Because here's something about Thanksgiving. 
It's like you just, God just, you just sent God a jury summons in the mail. You can't ignore a jury summons. You're not supposed to anyway. Right? That's like a must. Okay, now I'm obligated. I have to do this. Now, if you get a wedding invitation, you're not necessarily obligated to, to go, right? Probably should since you got the invitation. I mean, they don't send them out to just everybody. But jury, you better not ignore that. This thanks, when you do it with Thanksgiving, it's like you've just obligated God to get involved in your situation. Because you've said thank you before you've actually seen it. So he kind of has to do something here. That's why he's saying, do it with Thanksgiving and everything give thanks. And so that you can see God work mightily on your behalf. Amen. When you give thanks, you're making a powerful and courageous declaration. No matter the trouble, the challenge, or the degree of difficulty, God is greater. Can I just remind you again, God is on your side today. God is on your side. God is on your side. Hmm? He's not on the side of, the, of that opposition. He's on your side. And since he's on your side, you're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to come out on top because he has made you by his love more than a conqueror. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we just take a moment to thank him? Just maybe think of a thing or someone or thank him. Thank him for him. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we're here today, that we're breathing. I understand that there are some who woke up yesterday that didn't today. And we take this moment to appreciate the gift of life. Thank you, Lord, that we're not in the hospital right now. We're here. Thank you that we're not in jail. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lord, I, I want to say, especially in this moment, thank you that we're in the greatest nation on planet Earth. I thank you, Lord, for the United States of America, and that especially Texas. Come on. You're not only the greatest nation, you're in the greatest state in the greatest nation. Huh? <laughs> and I'm from Oklahoma, and I, I, you know, I agree. <laughs> give thanks always. As I said, giving thanks is, it is the, it's giving your faith words. Hmm? It's an it's a expression. This, this takes the guesswork out of your prayers, see. You don't, you don't throw up prayers as, as like you're rolling the dice or knocking on wood. No, no, no. Thanksgiving says it's absolutely done. Why would I thank him for something I wasn't even sure I was going to get? Hmm? Thanking him is you telling him, I'm fully confident that I'm going to have what I've asked for because you told me to give thanks when I pray. Ooh, that's beautiful, isn't it? Verse 19, almost through. Do not quench the spirit. Here's one of the do nots, you know. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Do not quench the Spirit. That means if it says do not quench the Spirit, then we have the ability to quench the Spirit. He's telling us not to. How powerful is the Spirit of God? Oh, He's so powerful. Hmm? He was there at creation, hovering over the waters when God was creating. Let there be light. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It was the Spirit, the Bible says, who raised up Jesus from the dead. 
It was the Spirit. When he showed up in Acts chapter 2, he showed up as with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. I mean, he is powerful, but this says you and I have the ability to quench or to extinguish. That's what the word quench literally means, to extinguish. Because you have a choice. You have a choice. I'm extremely blessed to have grown up in church and still be part of a church where we love the activity of the Spirit of God. We love the gifts. We love prophecy. We love laying hands on people and seeing them recover. We believe in miracles. Come on, help me. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, we, we, we not only uh, are welcome them, but they are in operation in this house. Hmm? Because the truth is, he offers so much of himself in his gifts. And if he's offered himself, ladies and gentlemen, let's get everything that we can from him. Amen. I want everything. I don't know. I don't understand all of it. But if he's giving it, like in Revelation, <laughs> the book of Revelation, one of the things he says that to those who overcome, that is those who overcome by faith and stand before him, we're going to get these rewards. And one of the rewards is a white stone. What the heck is that? I don't know. A white stone? Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> this is great. I don't know what that means. But if he's giving it out, I got to have a white rock. There's some eternal meaning to it that my finite mind right now is just like, a rock? Really? And then there's also another thing in Revelation that says, and Jesus talking about him, it has all kinds of names for him in the written Revelation. It says, and then he has a name that only he knows and nobody else knows. Why did you have to tell us that? <laughs> only he knows the name. Nobody else. Like Jesus is like, I'm Bill. <laughs> nobody knows. That's one of my names. Just, I don't know why, why he tells us that, but Whatever. I'm just saying that whatever the Lord, whatever the Lord is doing, and, and, and the way he expresses his gifts is by his spirit. And these are ways that the Lord shows us just how much he loves us. And see, criticism and skepticism, Gnosticism, ignorance have robbed so many people of the things of the spirit. So it means to don't quench the spirit. In other words, don't put out the flame. Don't put out the flame. Don't put out the flame or the light of the Spirit in your life. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let Him light up your life. Amen. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies. This is part of the quenching of the Spirit. All right? Do not despise prophecies. The word prophecy, this is what it means. Think about this. Who would want to despise this? A discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. Who could possibly despise that? People that don't want it. That's who. There are people who despise it. It's another way. Prophecy is another way that God speaks to us. He declares his purpose for your life. As we saw from that story, believe his prophets and you will prosper. That's why we take special attention every year just for the prophetic gift to be operated here in this church. We want to hear from are the office of the prophet, right? So they come in and they speak to us. And I'm telling you, even just this morning, just this morning, I hear it sometimes on a weekly basis. That conference influences so many of your lives because somebody speaks a word to you and you receive that. And, and almost, the, I mean, on a regular basis, somebody says, I'm, uh, Roxanne said this last year or Andre or whoever said this, and they'll either tell me just about the word that was stirred up again in them, or they'll tell me it came to pass. 
what they said would happen, it happened. So it's, it's a beautiful thing because you believe the prophet, you will prosper. And today, what I personally am experiencing in my own life and our own ministry has very much to do with words that have people given to me. So don't despise those things. Fully embrace them. And the truth is, you don't even have to necessarily understand the prophetic word. Sometimes the prophetic word makes no sense at all, right? And you'll be tempted to go, well, boy, are they off. Well, did they miss it? No, listen, listen. The Lord might be bringing something new into your life. Hmm? We can't see down the road, but the Spirit does. And so he's helping, he, he wants to help you see down the road. This is what's coming. Why? I thought he would say something that was relevant to me. Just let him do it. Amen. You don't have to understand it. Receive it. Test all things. Verse 21. Hold fast what is good. Test all things. Prove all things. Hold fast what is good. Isn't that interesting? Prove all things. Hold fast. I'm just saying it in a nutshell. Chew the meat. Spit out the bones is what it's saying. The Bible is your gauge to know what's true and what's not true. It is the truth. And so when you know the word, where there is no counsel, the Bible says the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So God is good. Do you know that he's good? He is good. And that, is one, that needs to be one of the foundational beliefs in your life, that God is good. And because he's good, that means he's never going to lie to you. Hmm? That's why you can't say that Jesus Christ is simply a good teacher or he was a good man and just categorize him there with these other religious you know, leaders, uh, Muhammad and Confucius and Buddha and whoever else. He, he's, you can't categorize him there because he said too many outlandish things. He said way too many outlandish things to just land in a good teacher, good person kind of category. He said, I am the way to heaven, the only way. Okay. So if he's good, then that's the truth. If he's not good, that's a lie. Then you can't say that he is good if he's a lying lunatic. Right? He either is Lord or he's a maniac. Had the audacity to go around and forgive people of their sins? Your sins are forgiven. Well, what about old Bill over there who he offended? Now, you acted like he offended you. Yeah, because I'm God. That's what he's saying. You don't get to just say that he's just one average person or a better than average person. No, he's either Lord of all, the creator of the universe, or he's a freak. Hmm? He doesn't allow us to just categorize him. He draws the line in the sand. You either believe or you don't. It's a love-hate. Love me, I hate me, but you cannot ignore the man, Jesus Christ. You have to deal with that man. And I would suggest that you uh, believe him. Because the other guys are dead. He's the only one that's still alive. Amen. He's the only one that got up out of the grave. I'd be listening to that guy. And lastly, abstain from every form of evil. Well, that, that, that might help you in picking your friends. <laughs> Look at the company that you're keeping. huh? Because you can be guilty by association just by having the wrong kind of friends. How many times do we see that in the criminal world? Somebody goes to jail because they're guilty by association. right? Same from every form of it. I'm going to leave you with this. I believe that Paul is particularly talking about just looking at the overarching message of his 
of his life is the form of religion. The form of religion. That is a form of godliness, but it denies God's power. It only dresses up. It, it's only an outward thing. It's, there's no inner change. Religion is just about what you look like on the outside, how, how you perform it, how you look before others. And Jesus called the Pharisees out on that on a continual basis. Pharisees love to pray out in public squares. They like to be seen by men for their piety. They like to wear the long kind of robes, show their authority. They like to do this and dress up. And he said what they are are whitewashed tombs. They're clean on the outside but full of dead men's bones. This is religion in a nutshell. It's a form, but it is not the deal. The Lord does not want a relationship with you where you are checklisting, checking off a box. I did this for you today, Jesus. I read my Bible. I went to church. I did this. Ain't I a good Christian? No, he wants a relationship with you. Religion robs you of a relationship. It completely and utterly saps it of it, bankrupts it. I'm saying from every form of evil and be free in knowing him and loving him. This is what Paul said toward the end of his ministry. He said, I've attained a lot of things. I was the best of the best at what I did. And you know what? I now call all of that dung compared to the knowledge of Jesus. That's all I want to know is him. I had lots of knowledge, but it didn't get me what I have in him. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these truths from your word. Thank you, Lord, for the counsel of your word, the wisdom of your word. And I pray today that this word, as Heather said earlier, it will truly, this seed will be planted deep in their hearts. And it will produce the kind of life and the kind of blessing that only your word can bring. A great harvest for their future. Father, thank you for your attention to every household that's here. Every husband, every wife, every father, every mother, every child. Every man, every woman. Father, I thank you right now that you are a very present help in times of trouble. We live in a world that is full of trouble. But we have living in us the one who has overcome the world and its troubles. And I thank you right now that you will help us all to remember to rejoice always to always let the fruit of our lips be giving thanks and praise to your name to invite you in every situation of our life to not start our day without our God thank you Father God because it's that continual praying that keeps us in that humble kind of mindset that I can't do this on my own. I need God. I need you. Thank you, Lord, for helping your people to experience everything that you've called them to experience. God, that when your spirit is leading us and guiding us, that we would be quick to listen to him, quick to hear, quick to do, not quick to ignore him. We want your spirit's activity in our lives. We, we need your truth. We need your guidance. We need revelation from you. We need your intervention. We need your healing power. We need your provision. I thank you, Lord. I don't know what all the needs are here, but you know every one of them before they even ask. <laughs> thank you for that. And that you're working on their behalf for their good. In the mighty name of Jesus. 
thank you for the glorious promise of the gospel that Christ died for our sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day and whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. What a glorious, glorious message that has the power to save anyone who will believe it. And we believe it and we thank you that upon that gospel, every benefit from God is unleashed to us. Every good thing. And we believe that and we receive that today in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.